happening, everyone? Along with Will Brewer, I am Colby Daniels. It is a pay-per-view week in the UFC, headed to Dallas, Texas. Will, just a few hours south of us, UFC 277 on Saturday, on the heels of what was a highly anticipated UFC London card. Obviously, uh, nobody happy with the way that thing concluded. We'll get to that in a moment, but how are you, my friend? Great, man. It's been a, a like, it's only two, it's only like, you know, we're just now starting the week, but it feels like we're already like, you know, a lot further through the week. Uh, had a basketball game last night, went really well. Uh, but, you know, now um, as you get into the, like, it feels like I've done so much this week and it's just, we're only just a few days into yeah. it. So I'm doing great though. I, I will say it's, it's a pay-per-view week. Um, but these last two uh, fight nights that we've had, man, it's just kind of, you know, it's kind of brought down the energy a little bit, uh, you know, because the main events have ended uh, ended unceremoniously. But, I mean, but we, we got a pay-per-view card coming up this weekend, and we just got to hope that we'll see yeah. um, some good action. That's right. Um, I'm guessing, in hindsight, going to the baby shower was absolutely worth it versus skipping to watch UFC London live, right? Well, let me, I'll say this. Uh, I did not skip the baby shower. <laughs> like, I, I thought about it. I, tr- I was going to, but I didn't end up skipping it. But um, so it, it was good. Uh, I, did, I was able to avoid all of the uh, notifications and everything. Like nice. I, So I was like, all right, get back home about 5, 6 o'clock. I watched the, the whole car from start to finish, prelims to the main event, and – Man, I mean, I, it was it was going to be hard for the for UFC London to you know recapture the the, the magic that happened in March, uh, but you know I'm not going to say that it was a complete dud of what we saw uh, last Saturday. But I mean, in comparison to the March card, it was a tough act to follow, so uh, it didn't deliver. But I mean, yeah. it had its good moments, but that March card was finish after finish, exciting moment, exciting moment, and then this card is just kind of few and far between. This card wasn't a dud, just in general. But if you compare it to the other UFC London card right. we had in 2022, I think I think it's fair to say, in comparison to that London card, this is a dud because it it yeah it wasn't even close, right? Like, right. and that's not as much on this card as that other card was special. Like that right, was yeah. one of the best non pay per view cards I've ever seen in UFC history. Exactly, and and that's why <laughs> the UFC thought it was so like important to come back so soon, like. They didn't have UFC London Part 2 in the plans uh, originally, right. but just off the momentum of that March card. And, I mean, that card couldn't have went any better uh, for the for the fighters who were fighting out of uh, out of London, or out of that region. And then uh, the fans, the, uh, you know, haven't, you know, seen a UFC live event in, in so long because of the pandemic and stuff. I mean, just everything just kind of worked that night. And it was just going to be really hard for uh, this card to to recapture that magic. But, uh, man. Uh, and, you know, it, this card had its moments. But, I mean, just that card, like you said, it, back in March, that card was special. I mean, every every fight had Every something. fight had a moment, right? Right. Every, every fight, fight had, had a moment or more than one moment. This entire card had a few moments. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, from the from the first prelim back in March to the uh, to the main event. I mean, it was right. just something special. Uh, like you said, one of the best non uh, pay-per-view cards of all time. And I'm sure like uh, by the end of this year, I don't know if, we, if we've seen a, even a pay-per-view card that's been better than that UFC London card. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to go back and revisit the cards. But yeah, I mean, I remember like when that card ended, I was like, that is 
as good a card as I've ever seen, period. And certainly when you when you take into account it, it not even being a pay-per-view where you're featuring, you know, loaded lineups and stuff. Yeah, it was it was incredible. Well, let's jump right into it, man, because the main event uh, only lasted 15 seconds. We were both geeked about this matchup, geeked about what this meant for the heavyweight division and just incredibly, I think, frustrating for everyone, right? For the UFC and the heavyweight division, incredibly frustrating for Tom Aspinall and Curtis Blades, incredibly frustrating for UFC fans as we got, I mean, it, it, like that in the 15 seconds we got, Will, I feel like we got the type of intensity that we were looking forward to. And the moment that, you know, it started to feed our appetite, it was over. Yeah, man. Uh, crazy. I mean, just for this to happen uh, for the second week in a row, uh, uh, the main event to end unceremoniously, it was just so crazy. And then for it to happen uh, on this in this setting, uh, high high level uh, heavyweight matchup, title implications. I mean, and you, there's still so many questions about Tom Aspinall in in regards to him being uh, like we all see the potential, but how is he going to fight going up in the rankings? And Curtis Blades is as good as it gets. And you know, just in those 15 seconds, we saw like a Curtis Blades who was willing to engage. We saw Tom Aspinall. Uh, try to, you know, move in and out. We saw the movement. He was throwing a lot of fast strikes, a lot of kicks. But, uh, you know, Blades was, like, welcoming that. We saw so much in 15 seconds, and it just it just left the appetite to see so much more. And then, you know, the fight is over uh, just like that. And then it's just like you talk about a momentum halter. I mean, sure, Tom Aspinall lost, and uh, he's not going to be out of the picture. Like, there's still so much promise in, that, in him. But you talk about a momentum halter. I mean, that this whole knee injury, I mean, that place was silent. I mean, it, it was just crazy to see, man. And you feel for Tom Aspinall, uh, you know, a guy who has such promise, who is so skilled, yeah. and who was on the cusp of becoming a legit superstar. I don't feel like it's over for him by any means, but uh, just it's it's sad that it had to take a halt like this. He's only 29, right? So uh, still very early in his career. And look, I mean, in terms of the heavyweight division, that's probably been the division that's been proven over time that, uh, you know, the older guys obviously can stay more relevant in the heavyweight division than maybe in some of the other divisions. But yeah, I think there's still plenty of opportunity for Tom Aspinall. Uh, no, no crash in terms of the stock other than the fact that he's going to be sidelined for a while. But I think he's going to have another big opportunity when he gets back. Obviously, this sets Curtis Blades up to take on whatever's next, whether that's the gone to Ivasa winner or some other direction. But yeah, just incredibly frustrating all the way around. I would pose the question to you that was posed last week, and I've even seen people talk about the last few days on Twitter. If you're going to award Yair Rodriguez with a finish a week ago, do you give Curtis Blades a finish in this, or is it a TKO injury? Because some have argued that... I mean, Curtis Blades absorbing that that uh, that power the way that he did led to to Aspinall having to move the way that he did, and you have the injury. Uh, this one's a little tougher than the Yair one because I f I feel like that injury to Ortega happened because of a position that Yair put Ortega in, but this one wasn't was necessary wasn't necessarily Blades putting Aspinall in that position. It was more so Aspinall threw a strike, it landed, uh, and I mean, because I don't really feel like Curtis Blades checked it. I might be wrong, but I don't necessarily feel like he checked it. I just feel like that was a clean uh, shot that Aspinall hit. Uh, it was it was very hard. These are heavyweights. And then he took a, a step back. And and you got to remember, like, Tom Aspinall is moving very, very fast for a man who is hit 250 pounds. So, you know, you, ne you never know uh, 
with this sport. You know, this sport is crazy. Stuff happens all the time. And I guess this is just one of those moments where, you know, shit happens. Uh, it, it's un, it's very unfortunate that it happened to Tom Aspinall, but, it, you know, this this is what happens in this sport. Yeah, it wasn't so much the way I've seen it phrased. It wasn't so much about the fact that he checked the kick as much as he was going back toward Tom Aspinall when the kick was thrown, throwing a punch. And so Tom Aspinall was trying to move backwards very quickly after throwing a really powerful shot. And if Curtis Blades wasn't coming forward with what could be a devastating shot, Tom Aspinall doesn't have to get out of the way that quickly. And maybe, you know, with all the force behind what he threw, I, like, the, the only reason I bring that up is because it's kind of a foolish thing to have debates like this to a degree, right? Because there's always the what if, like, again, if Yaya Rodriguez is trying to get the finish and that thing occurs, then yeah, maybe that that's the case. Uh, you know, that was more Brian Ortega's doing, although Yair had a track. Like, you know, you can you can go in circles in this stuff, which uh, I don't know. It, it, to me, neither are a finish. Both are TKOs. Um, I can see how you can make do, the argument, but you know, where does where does it end? Is is my point? If you're going to go down that path. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's just going to be a, a complete circle, and then you know, with people who love to be right, they're going to call the other person an idiot. When really, right. both of your arguments have hold some weight and everything but it's just you know there's no like clear like wrong answer but there's no clear right answer either so right. we're just going to keep going around in circles and but at the end of the day this is very unfortunate and uh you you, you hate to see this happen in this sport but especially with the fight of this magnitude well let's play matchmaker in the heavyweight division uh is it as simple as curtis blades now gets the winner of gone to ivasa or how do you perceive this because there's you know this is still a division that that just it's so frustrating at the very top, especially with John Jones and Stipe out there. Um, it, you know, we were at least going to have two premier fights in a short amount of time to somewhat give us some clarity. We were robbed of one of those. Who knows what happens in the other? But is it is it for you at least as simple as Curtis Blades gets the Gone to Ivasa winner? Or do you want to see how that plays out before you go down that path? Yeah, I mean... For me right now, uh, Blades has to get the winner of uh, of Ghan and Tuivasa. The, they're both matchups that he hasn't had before. They're both guys ranked ahead of him. Uh, I, I think Blades is done fighting below him. Um, I, I, there's not a guy outside of Tom Aspinall that has a, a, that momentum for, to where Curtis Blades should fight below. So, um, you know, and, and with Francis being champion, you know, it's tough to, you know, for Curtis to, you know, get a title shot. I still think he's got some work to do. And, you know, Gon, you know, I think if Gon wins impressively, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I think either either way you spin it, I think Blades is going to have to fight the winner of Gon to Avasa because there's still so much uh, going on th at the top of the heavyweight division um, with John and Stipe and Francis being hurt. There's like a pecking order. And, like, Blades has moved up into, like, that step that's right under the number one contender spot. and uh, Gan and Tuivasa are also there, so the winner of, the, of Gan and Tuivasa just fights Curtis Blades, and you know you, you you take a small step up, but not a huge leap, and then uh, have these two guys uh, fight. Yeah, it's it's very tricky because of the Blades uh, Francis history, the Gan Francis history, right? So like, it, it kind of depends on which way it plays out. Also, I mean, you know my thoughts on this, and I think you're somewhat in agreement. I mean. My frustration with Stipe rarely fighting, John Jones having the holdout of the century, um, <laughs> like, I'm not holding up anything in this division, if it's me, for those two guys, right? In terms of a title picture, right? In terms of what's next for Francis, none of my decision-making is going to be made with the thought of Stipe or John Jones 
and whatever they ultimately are going or not going to do. Like, they are not in the equation for me. Because you have to have activity. And, like, I, I'm not basing any part of how I would, I guess, structure whatever path it is to Francis with John Jones and Stipe being there unless there's something that they have booked that we don't know about. Yeah, I, you know, I think we're really close to, to getting a date for uh, Stipe and John Jones. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess... This hasn't been reported. I haven't heard anything. I'm going to guess that we're going to get John Jones versus Steve Miocic in December and that card in, uh, in December. Right. So but for me, uh, like this whole John and Steve thing, it's been going on so much so long. I mean, I, I want to move on from it. Uh, the only thing that's kind of keeping this this thing afloat is Francis's knee injury, because yeah. if, if Francis didn't have this knee injury like John and Steve the, the need for them to fight wouldn't be so high. But we're getting to the point where, you know, these pay-per-views are getting booked. Like UFC 280 is in October, and that card is fully booked. We've got MSG in November, and then we got Las Vegas in December. Those are the last two cards of the year. And then going into next year, you got, you know, Francis potentially coming back. Like, you know, like we've literally been going through this almost uh, for this whole year of 2022. What I actually thought was going to happen is I thought that if Tom Aspinall won impressively, I thought that they were going to be like, well, screw this John and Stipe thing. We've got a superstar in Tom Aspinall. Yeah. We're going to keep uh, pushing him to the moon. Let's have Tom Aspinall fight Francis Ngannou at the beginning of 2023 or whenever Francis gets healthy. And then they're just going to be like, well, fuck John and Stipe. Yeah, I've waited this long, but now we got another guy. But now with Curtis Blades winning, it just like puts more uh, need, maybe not in everybody's mind, but to me, I think it puts more need of John and Stipe uh, to fight. It's such a bad position for the UFC here because obviously, I mean, how many times have we joked about the crappy 270 card that they gave us that yeah. was somewhat of a play against Francis Ngannou, right? They don't want to, they, I mean, seemingly don't want Francis to be the guy, don't want to pay him what he wants. Uh, so there's an appetite to deliver something to the fans that's going to supersede Francis Ngannou. The only problem is that path is only John Jones and Stipe Miocic. John Jones doesn't want to sign anything that doesn't get him uber paid. And even if Stipe fights in December, I mean, does that mean we have to wait till next December before he fights again? Right? Like, Stipe's not a guy that's fighting every three or four months, newsflash people. Like, the guy's fought, like, three times in the last, like, three or four years, right? Like, it's, he's he's not fighting all the time. So, I mean, there's... There's not really, like, like, I think you're right. I think if Aspinall had won impressively, Aspinall's next just because that potentially gives them a new path where it's not relying, you know, you don't have to fall back to Francis and kind of lose that battle. You don't have to give in to John's demands. Stipe fighting once a year, basically, right? Like, it's, what a bad position they're in. <laughs> yeah, Ter it's a terrible position to be in. It, it, at uh, least as far as that division. Yeah, because... Now, like this division is still held up, but if you if Tom Aspinall had a one impressively, that that's like the the guy that was just like the savior in a way. Uh, but now that you don't have that, you know Curtis Curtis Blades has lost to the champion twice. Uh, Surreal Gone has already lost to Francis, like you said earlier. Uh, tied to Avasa, I mean, like he's fun. I mean, a fight with him and Francis, uh, uh, you know, two knockout artists and everything that would be would be fun. But I just don't think he's I, I don't know. It, it would be a hard sell, you know, to me for that to be the fight when you have like John Jones and Stipe there. 
uh, also. So he would need to. I mean, he would need to impressively knock out Gone, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And, and if he does that, uh, I mean, because like Gone turned Francis and Ganu into a wrestler. Exactly. Like, let's call it what what happened. Like if if Francis can't get a knockout, but Ty Tuivasa can knock out Gone, that's gonna be incredible. But uh, if if that doesn't happen, then if he wins by decision or or something like that, which I don't know if that's gonna happen either. But like when you have John and Stipe there, their legacies, and then how they potentially would match up with Francis. I mean, it's just a it's just a tough sell uh, for those guys over uh, John and Stipe, which makes the UFC more reliant on them. It, it, it's tough, but yeah. I mean that's just where we're at now. <laughs> yeah, what an unfortunate situation. Back to back main events in the UFC where uh, we have early stoppages due to injuries. Uh, speaking of unfortunate, how unfortunate was the co-main event, Will? Good Lord. Um, like, I have some strong feelings about how this whole thing went down. But, uh, like, I was left unbelievably unsatisfied with the co-main event as well. Yeah, Jack Hermanson and Chris Curtis. I mean, I had uh, higher hopes for this fight, obviously. But, I mean, credit Chris Curtis, first of all, uh, for taking the fight. Uh, he's been a guy who's uh, helped the UFC out when guys are pulled out and uh, looked really good. I don't know what it was about this one where um, things just didn't go right for him. Uh, it seemed like he had a lot of opportunities to to let his hands go, but he just didn't. I, and it was just weird because Chris Curtis is normally a guy who will let his hands go uh, when the opportunity presents itself. You know, Jack Hermanson is not a guy um, who really does much damage on the feet. Right. But, I mean, I will say Jack was doing a lot of moving and maybe Chris Curtis was trying to, you know, pick it, pick the right shots. But I'm just, but I mean, like, you know, you're in there for 15 minutes and, you know, he's Jack's moving the same way the entire time. Like you, you've got to either make an adjustment or, you know, just like take a chance or, you know, something by the third round, you know, Chris finally got a sense of urgency because he knew he was losing. But, you know, at the same time, I'm just like, come on, Chris, man, I feel like you had, uh, you have opportunities. You're just not taking them. So, uh, I mean, I, I get your frustration. I don't know if, I don't know how much you're frustrated uh, by what Chris Curtis did, but uh, and then the whole aftermath of the fight, you know, with I'm sure Chris Curtis was frustrated with himself, and then like it, it, everything just kind of came out in a in a in the wrong way. But you know, I think that all in all, that was just a bad showing by uh, Chris Curtis. Uh, sure, he went back to Twitter and apologized and got back on track and everything, but the fight itself was uh, very uh, underwhelming for sure. Yeah. I mean, even with, as you described, the third round, even with a little bit more output from Chris Curtis, it was still very reserved, right? Like it was, yeah. Like it was almost like he just he wasn't going to fight. And I'll tell you what it reminded me of. It reminded me of Tyron Woodley, right? Where like you're literally, he like he was just standing there waiting for one big shot, like almost for like Jack Hermanson to just be like invite him, like hands down, okay, hit me with a big one. Like what are you waiting for? At some point, <laughs> you have to start throwing punches and you know like that was my frustration with Woodley in the late in the later fights like it was like every fight he got in there he like he was only going to throw something if it was an opportunity to end the fight on one punch and that was how I felt about that which is fine for a period of time like if that's your game plan fine but clearly Jack Her like Chris Curtis lost the action man lost because the other guy was more active like yeah. the other guy just <laughs> gave more action like Jack Hermanson wasn't beating up Chris Curtis right Jack Her if you had told me that Jack Hermanson was going to win 29-28 or 30-27, which were the two, you know, it was three scorecards, but those were the collective two scores, that he was going to win unanimously by those scorecards, and there wouldn't be a single takedown in the fight, I would have said, you are a liar. That's not yeah. even possible, right? 
Like, yeah. give Jack Hermanson a ton of credit for the game plan, the arsenal in which he attacked. I mean, he threw a lot of different stuff. But Jack Hermanson's not out there beating you up on the feet, right? Like, it was literally scoring points. Like, that, he just outpointed you. He's just touching you, touching you, touching you, and racking up the points, and you're not throwing anything. At some point, you've at least got to match his activity if you want to have a chance. And like I said, it was it was frustrating to watch this like mentality of like he's just got to open the door for me and literally walk me through it to get to the point that I'm going to throw a big shot. I mean, uh, Jack Herman Jack Hermanson was fantastic, great approach, but Chris Curtis was never in danger there, right? Like it wasn't it wasn't accumulating damage. He was just accumulating points because he was touching and Chris Curtis wasn't doing anything. Uh, it was an extremely frustrating fight for me to watch. And then the aftermath, where literally you just had 15 minutes to fight and chose not to, at that point to be like, let's go. What? You just have 15, that's, you had 15 minutes to fight the guy. And then when the 15 minutes is up, then you decide you want to fight? So incredibly frustrating. Like, I, I was just like, ugh. Get him, all, like, get him out of there. Let's on to the next. Like, I, I was... Incredibly frustrated by the situation overall, um, and you know it was funny to me how he keeps go. You know he keeps pointing toward the middle, like let's go, let's throw. And I'm, I'm like, if I'm Jack Hermanson, I'm gonna laugh and keep dancing around him. Like, right? That's not uh, Jack Hermanson is dominating you on the scorecards. Like it, I would call Jack Hermanson a fool if he did that, right? It's what we want right. to see, but he was up by so much. There's not a person on earth that could watch that fight and reasonably tell you that Chris Curtis even had a chance on scorecards. It was just like, yeah. it's on you as the person that is clearly losing the fight to take the fight to him, not for him to stand toe to toe with you in the middle of the octagon. Yeah, I'm sure Chris Curtis is kicking himself because, like you said, there was not a single takedown. And this is the type of fight that I'm sure Chris Curtis dreamed of when he thinks about when he was thinking about the fight with Jack Hermanson. Yep. I'm sure he thought all he's going to do is try to take me down because he can't mess with me on the feet. But on fight day, that's what we saw. Jack Hermanson, Jack Hermanson was seemed like he was the superior striker. But everybody who watches MMA knows that Chris Curtis is is a very is better with his striking than Jack Hermanson yeah. for sure. But on this night, Chris Curtis just didn't go after it, and I don't know what it was. I don't know if you know uh, taking all the fights on short notice because he's been very active. Maybe uh, you know he was just uh, drained. You know for this fight, I don't know, but. Um, very uncharacteristic of Chris Curtis, for sure, uh, to not go after it and to just kind of um, let someone just dance around him. I mean, Phil Hawes, who's a very scary um, striker, yeah. Chris Curtis was walking him down. Uh, Brendan Allen, very skilled, very technical. Chris Curtis was walking him down. Uh, uh, Hadolfo Vieira, I mean, he stuffed over 20 takedowns. Like, right. The, the reason why the odds were so close was because in those performances, he was walking down his opponents and he wasn't getting taken down, which Jack Hermanson is a guy who normally likes to grapple and he's not a better striker than Chris Curtis. So if if Chris Curtis just would have fought his fight, like who knows what would have happened? He might have scored a knockout. Yeah. I mean, the chances are very, very good. But instead, he just let Jack Hermanson, you know, <laughs> just strike circles around him. And it was. It was it was crazy to watch, man, I, for sure. Because, like you said, he's the action man, and he wasn't active. Yeah, he just uh, Jack Hermanson literally just outworked him, and it was as simple as that. Uh, and and that's wild, because Jack Hermanson's the guy with the number next to his name, right? Like it's yeah. what a giant missed opportunity. And I like Chris Curtis, by the way. I I was hoping to see him capitalize on this. Jack Hermanson's number eight in the world. Like the doors that this would have opened for Chris Curtis are enormous. And here's the other thing. 
it's not even like he needed to win to gain momentum out of this. You took this fight on short notice. You're stepping in. Everybody's giving you credit. Like, this is a no-lose situation for you. Even if you just go out there and just give a hard-nosed fight in which you lose, you're still going to set yourself up for something really good next, right? Like, this was the worst-case scenario. Yeah, uh, because it kind of gives the impression that he can't hang with the with the top guys or with the ranked guys. Uh, when clearly he's got the skill, right? Like we all see it. Right. Uh, for him to knock out the guys that he's knocked out and to, to perform the way he's been performing, like he can hang with the top guys. Just there was just something about about Jack Hermanson that he just couldn't figure out. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, but I will say, like against you know a lot of these ranked uh, middleweights, I mean, I'm not counting out Chris Curtis. I think Chris Curtis beats. A, a vast majority of these guys if he's on his game like yeah there's a reason why the, the odds were so close like I, I believe it was like a pick em when uh we did our picks it was like minus 120 minus 110 or something Chris like Curtis, that it was, by the way closed as the favorite right it, okay he closes the favorite so yeah. like everyone sees like the potential in this guy but you know he just he just didn't show it and I, you know he's going to be kicking himself because he knows that he can beat uh jack hermanson like i know he's saying to himself I can beat him. I could have right. beat him. Uh, but it, it was more of I lost that fight than Jack Hermanson beat me. You know, even though Jack Hermanson performed really well, yeah. like Chris Curtis just didn't do anything. Yeah. At some point, you have to engage, right? Like at some point, you have to push the gas pedal and go forward instead of just sitting idle, which is what it kind of felt like he did. And, and again, he did pick it up somewhat in the third, but it was still, I mean, so far below what Jack was doing. Uh, throughout the majority of that fight that it just, yeah, it, it was uh, incredibly disappointing. Uh, one thing that wasn't disappointing was Patty Pimblett and Jordan Levitt. Uh, everything that led up to this fight, I mean, from the, the fake-out handshake to the way that both of these guys talked about potentially celebrating over the other, I thought this was really good matchmaking, Will. Uh, I thought Jordan Levitt was absolutely going to be competition for Patty Pimblett. I thought that Jordan Levitt was going to push him in certain ways. He did that. It goes to a second round. Patty Pimblett gets the win. It is comical to me the amount of people that watch Patty Pimblett and think that this is a uh, a future champion, especially in the lightweight division, because uh, I, I don't see that. But the guy is a star. Uh, I give him a lot of credit. He's now delivered every time he's been inside the octagon. I'm curious to see what they give him next, because like this win and anything that happened in this win certainly didn't give me confidence that he needs a ranked fighter or even somebody that maybe is on just on the outside. Uh, but there are people calling for some pretty big names for Patty Pimblett next, which uh, I would proceed with caution if I were the UFC, but ultimately Patty gets the win. Uh, I thought uh, great, great speech, by the way, in the aftermath. And, you know, always hate to hear that anybody's suffering from mental issues, mental health issues. And uh, I hate to hear that uh, his friend committed suicide, but uh, in terms of the win itself, good win for Patty Pimblett, good performance for Patty Pimblett. Pump the brakes on what's next for Patty Pimblett is what I would offer. Yeah, you know, uh, I think this was a, a very good stylistic matchup for Patty. Uh, like Jordan Levitt is pretty skilled uh, with his grappling and stuff, but in terms of on the feet, like we like Patty's first two fights, we saw we saw him get dropped, we saw, we saw him get cracked. Right. Jordan Levitt's not really a guy who does. Uh, really well on the feet uh, in terms of like, you know, putting somebody out. Um, like he is a grappler and it's, I mean, that's pretty yeah. much it. Yeah. So, I mean, like when you, when the fight starts, like Patty, like kind of rushed across the octagon, got in his face and threw like a one, two, like he wasn't doing that against these other two guys. Cause he knew that they could probably put him out, but um, he definitely didn't respect Jordan Levin on the feet. He, he did respect his grappling, but you know, I think, this was more of a tailor-made matchup for Patty Pimblett to get a knockout. You know, that didn't happen. 
Uh, Jordan Levitt was uh, tried to grapple him. Uh, didn't have too much success, even though I did think he won the first round. Uh, but, you know, uh, I was very impressed by the finish, uh, how he was able to take his back, uh, trap the arm. Like, that, I thought that was very impressive by Patty Pimblett. And to get the submission, I mean, uh, you know, I just thought, you know, with the grappling, uh, I thought the I didn't know who was better at grappling, but I thought Patty had the advantage on the feet. Um, and then the, the grappling was kind of a, a wash. Yeah. And then, you know, with, with the London crowd and everything, you know, I, I thought it was just tailor made for, you know, for a Patty Pimblet win. Um, in terms of what's next for him, I'm with you. Like, I'm sure you saw on Twitter, people calling for a Patty Pimblet and Tony Ferguson. Uh, I'm not with that at all. Um, I've heard, you know, uh, Michael Chandler's name being thrown around. Oh, I've good heard, Lord. Uh, yeah. I've heard Jalen Turner's name being oh, thrown around. Oh, no. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I'm with you. Like, uh, I haven't seen future champion vibes from uh, Patty Pimblett uh, up to this point because uh, in every fight he's faced some adversity. Um, but sure, he's gotten he's gotten the finish in all these fights. But in terms of championship level stuff, you know, I haven't really seen that yet. So still build him up slowly. Um, you know, put him on these big cards like you do with Sean O'Malley, but give him yeah. uh, more favorable matchups and stuff. Uh, just you know, kind of elevate him a little bit in terms of the name value. But, you know, I'm not putting him in there against any ranked guy. Um, one name that I thought about, and I just wasn't sure if this was too much uh, of, a, of a step up, but what about uh, Patty Pimblett and Nasrat Hackbarass? Ooh, I, I, I think that might even be a little bit more than, yeah. than he it's could the- chew on. It, it, I, I would tell you this. To me, that one's incredibly dangerous because... I I would probably favor Hack Prest in that fight, right? Right. And that's not even a name where you're getting, like, if you're going to lose, if if you're going to put Patty against somebody where you feel like there's a decent chance he's going to lose, like, I feel like you'd want to at least capitalize on it being, you know, somebody else that has a rising arrow, right? That that somebody else that could at least gain a lot of traction off of a win over Patty. And I don't think that's Hack Prest, right? Like, I, I, so I, I heard the idea first thrown out Gregor Gillespie. No, which that's no, that that's no, bad news. No. Then I heard Drew Dober. No, I think that's really bad news. And then the yeah. one I heard that at least somewhat makes sense because it's another rising star. And if it doesn't go Patty's way, at least this guy gets the shine off of it, right? Because Hack Perest isn't—I mean, Hack Perest isn't a, a guy that's a star in the making, right? Like, not that he's—he's a, he's a really good fighter, but he's not an emerging star. Terrence McKinney was the other name I heard thrown out, which I think Terrence McKinney eats Patty Pimblett alive, right? But at least right. if you do that, it's you're at least giving Patty Star to another guy that's on the rise, and it, it at least makes sense in terms of how it benefits the opposing fighter uh, and what's good for the the logo, if you will. But yeah, Terrence, I, that that to me is an awful matchup. I I think Terrence McKinney dominates that. It's crazy that we've named at least six or seven lightweights and. Not one have I thought, oh, Patty can win that. Not saying Patty can't win, but I'm just like, I'm not favoring Patty over any of the guys that we that we've named up to this point. No, uh, it, it's tough. Like, um, I think uh, in his press conference he said something about uh, Jared Gordon, um, okay. but that's still like he doesn't have the name value. But he's that's a tough, a fight. very talented fighter. Yeah, that's a tough fight. But it's it's not a fight where I'm just like, oh, Patty's. Can't win that. Like I, I probably would favor Patty in that fight, but that's still a very tough fight. For sure. So like, if I'm if I'm the UFC, I'm still very very cautious on who I give him next. I, I stay far away from the rankings, and I still just give him 
you know, I'm, I was trying to think of, of like veterans in the in the lightweight division who Patty could fight. Clay like, Guida. Um, yeah, but that might that might be too much. Like, I don't know if I would favor Patty over Clay Guida. Uh, Joe Lozon, I don't know if I would favor him over Joe Lozon. Um, Michael Johnson. I don't know if I'd favor Patty over Michael Johnson either. But like, yeah. So out of everyone, like, it seems like a guy like Jared Gordon would be the the path at this point. But um, I don't know, man. I guess I guess we'll just have to see. But th- th- I, I'm very curious to see what the UFC does with with Patty Pimlin next. Alex Hernandez. Ooh. If Patty had, man, if I was more confident in his hands, like if he didn't get cracked so much, like I think that would be a pretty solid matchup. But yeah. I think Alexander Hernandez at this point would beat him. Yeah. I mean, you could, if you wanted to go the same route that you just went with Jordan Levitt, you could go Mark Madsen, I guess. But I mean, that's kind of yeah. the same fight, right? I mean, Mark Madsen is right. a grappler, and that's the end of it. Like he offers nothing on the feet, just like Jordan Levitt didn't. I, I, I mean, I don't know who this fighter is, but you have to give him someone. Who had who like people know like just so um, it doesn't seem like you're just giving him guys who he can run through like after a while you know when Sean O'Malley started being on main cards and stuff we started seeing him fight guys like Thomas Almeida who was who was ranked at one point yeah. um, Eddie Wineland was a was a former uh, WEC champion uh, so like you want to give him a name that people know but still a winnable matchup but like who who is that guy? I, yeah. I mean, in this the division, there aren't a lot of those guys. That's the problem. Yeah, there aren't a lot of those guys, and a lot of these guys are good. Uh, like uh, even some of the guys who are fighting uh, Saturday, like Jakar Close. Oh yeah. Would you favor Patty no. Pimblett against Jakar Close? No. Nope. Okay, so like, I don't know where you, I don't really know where you go. Um, maybe uh, if some of the, if a couple of these guys lose, like uh, Hafa Garcia. You know, if he loses, maybe you give Patty Pimblett to Tafa Garcia. I, I I don't know, but it's it's you have to proceed with caution because you've got it. You've got a star. You've got someone who's got who the fans are are behind. Um, and if you're gonna put him in MSG, you're not putting him in MSG to lose. So, I mean, you got to give yeah. him a very winnable fight. I don't know who that is. Though. I did. Uh, I did hear somebody throw out Joe Selecki. Okay, Which like. I think is- yeah, like I, I like out of all of the names that we've that we've given, like I could I could rock with that. Like Patty should be able to win that, but that's still a tough matchup. But Patty yeah. should be able to win. Yeah, that might be the closest to what we're looking for. But yeah, um, I man, I like Patty Pimblett, By the way, I like the whole yeah. the whole shtick. Like he has a good time. He's entertaining. Like it's a lot of fun. But this whole like Patty future champion, like Patty, like you mentioned Michael Chandler, and I was like, who on like. The people that I was hearing thrown around were like the guys that were not even ranked, but like fringe. And I, I thought that was way too much to, to like, whoa, no. But then you hear Michael, Ch- no, not Michael Chandler. Absolutely not. That's a bloodbath. I, I think that with Sean O'Malley fighting Peter Young kind of out of nowhere. Uh, yeah. I mean, but like you're starting to be like, oh, let's give these, these rising stars like the, the toughest fights so that they can hurry up and get to the title. But that's kind of the vibes I got when I heard people talking about Michael Chandler. And then, like, I see these comparisons of Patty Pimblett and Conor McGregor. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Uh, so, no. yeah, I mean, I, I know that we want to give him tougher competition just because we're wanting to get him closer to the title. But I just don't think he's ready for 
uh, what the world thinks he's ready for. Yeah. Um, I'm still I'm still being very cautious. I'm still taking it slow. Uh, I'm putting him on pay per views now because I think that's where his uh, his star is kind of warranting him now. For sure. Um, because you know after being in fight nights, like he doesn't need to be at the apex. Uh, after being at London, he doesn't need to be at a fight night in Long Island or right. something crazy like that. He needs to be on pay per view, and we're gonna have to capitalize off his star off of that. So, um, but in terms of the opponent, yeah. that's tough, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even with O'Malley though, the two the two best fighters he shared the octagon with were Cheeto Vera and Pedro Munoz, and both of those fights ended unceremoniously. Right? Yeah, and, I but mean, at least he was I, in the octagon with two guys of that magnitude. Yeah, I, I'm still under the impression that. Uh, Cheeto just whooped his ass. I mean, I know that he doesn't want to call it what, it what it is and everything, but Cheeto chopped his leg, forced that um, his leg to go limp or whatever, and then finished him. Like, I still think that that, that was all Cheeto. But um, yeah. in terms of Pedro Munoz, that whole eye poke thing, that's very unceremonious. Yeah. And But that first round was a round that I gave to Pedro. So 100% to Pedro, yeah. And I think that's why we we're seeing... Uh, O'Malley and Peter Yan fight because, like you said, uh, like you said earlier, you're not going to waste um, uh, like a Patty Pimblett or a Sean O'Malley to you, to lose to someone who isn't going to be able to capitalize on it, right. off of it. You know, if he's going to lose, you want him to lose to someone like Peter Yan. If O'Malley's going to lose, you want him to lose someone like Peter Yan. So, um, yeah, so th- that's why like we're struggling to find the perfect matchup for for Patty because if he is going to lose, we you, you want to give it. Give him to someone who's going to be able to capitalize off of that. Like Cheeto became a a a, a huge. Now I'm not gonna say a huge star, but people knew who Cheeto was after he beat Shadow O'Malley. Like people started to really pay attention to him. And you know, yeah, who who's gonna be that for Patty? I I don't know, man. Like you don't, don't want know. Sean O'Malley or Patty Pimblett losing to um losing to Buster Douglas, right? <laughs> right. Where it's like that's the that's the highlight, and then there's nothing that comes beyond that. Like if they're gonna lose, you want it to be like to Lennox Lewis, who can go on to also become a big deal, right? Like that's that's where I, I look at that from that perspective. And yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure what the path is, but um, put me in the camp that doesn't think he's anywhere close to a top 15 guy, much less, I would argue, a fringe top 15 guy. Uh, but we'll see, man. I like I, I am rooting for the guy. I like him. Yeah. He's fun. Um, I, you know, I go Patty, but just saying like in terms of separating, like how much I enjoy watching him versus like how good I think he is in comparison to the other lightweights. Uh, it's, it's a no from me, dog to quote the great Randy Jackson. Um, all right. So, so badly, Will last week, I wanted to pick Gustafson so badly. I couldn't do it. Ultimately, I couldn't pull the trigger. I just I couldn't bring myself to gamble on the the long amount of time that he's been away from the sport, even against a guy like Krylov, who, you know, has been all over the map, hasn't had just a bunch of consistent success. Uh, I'm glad that I stuck with my head and didn't decide to roll the dice with my heart because, good Lord, uh, this was this is pretty devastating. Krylov. Uh, this thing actually, well, it, it went over a minute, if you can believe that. It was a minute and seven seconds. It felt like it was a flurry that lasted about as long as the main event between Blades yeah. and Aspinall, which was only 15 seconds. Yeah, man, it, it's it's sad when you see the the guys who you grew up in this when you're watching the sport. It's sad. It's sad to see these guys go down this path. Um, I, man, 
I didn't like how Alex looked when he was leaving, like when he was yeah. originally retiring from the sport. I felt like he should have stayed retired because, you know, it, it just didn't seem like he just he, like he wanted it. Like, you know, when he fought John Jones the first time and almost beat him, when he fought DC for the title, uh, when he when he uh, d- dominated Glover Teixeira, I mean, even back to when he fought Shogun, like this, like that guy would have ate Nikita Krylov up for sure, like that. Alexander Gustafson from back in the day was a was a killer, but now, I mean, it's just like why is he, why is he in the sport? Like what what is what is he doing it for? Like is he does he still have championship aspirations? Is he doing it for money? But like when he came back against Verdum and lost in you know in a minute or however whatever the case was, I mean, I was excited for the heavyweight move, but you know it, when it comes to grappling, I didn't like Alexander Gustafson the thought of him grappling like that, uh, but. Yeah, taking that much time off after that, another two-year layoff, and before that, it was uh, two years or three years, however however long it had been. Like, the, the layoffs had been too too much. You know, there's too much time in between. And then, like I said, I felt like the sport has passed him by a little bit. You know, these guys are getting so good. That's why you can't put Alexander Gustafson in there with a um, Magomed Akalaev or with a, a guy at the very top of the light heavyweight division. You have to put him in there with the guy kind of low in the rankings to kind of see where he's at. And with him getting knocked out by Krylov, like, that's – I mean, I don't care to see him fight yeah. fight again. Uh, but, you know, it, it's sad, man, because, like, I've, I've felt this way with, with Woodley, uh, Donald Cerrone, you know, um, Alistair Overeem, Junior Dos Santos, all these guys who were so good when I first started watching the sport. And now to see them, you know – see the sport pass them by, see the sport evolve, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to see, man, because you want to remember him for the, the great moments that he gave. But, right. you know, for, for right now, we're going to remember him fighting Nikita Krylov and not having Oof. a chance. Yeah. Um, as far as the Krylov part of this, give me Krylov, Dustin Jacoby next. Whoa, yo, that's a that's a fantastic fight. Like if the UFC isn't jumping on that fight, that should be the fight. Because I don't know what Krylov is is ranked right now, but he I don't, he doesn't have like a, a true uh, path right now to anything. And Dustin Jacoby's looking for a ranked guy. That's a perfect matchup. Definitely put them together. Yeah, I think it'd be a good fight too. But yeah, it makes sense. Jacoby deserves somebody ahead of him. Jacoby's currently fourteen. Uh, Krylov's at eleven. Like you said, there's not a clear and obvious path. Plus, it's a guy that. I mean, he's fought a lot of the guys that are currently ranked in this top 15 anyway. Uh, so it's a fresh matchup. I know a lot of these guys are booked uh, to that point as well. So uh, he got he got out of that unblemished. I think we just saw Dustin Jacoby, what, a week or two ago. So, right. yeah, let's make it happen. Perfect matchup right there, man. Yeah. Um, Perfect. I thought, well, the highlight of UFC London was Molly McCann. She gets the win over Hannah Goldie. I mean, she even had the same... Uh, spinning back fist in this thing like she delivered the flurry that she put out there uh, that led and ultimately was the finish here was outstanding the place just went crazy she's got so much energy incredibly likable uh, molly mccann for me was the highlight of ufc london on saturday yeah definitely with you i mean uh for her to get another knockout and basically the way that she got it uh the first time i mean you don't see many many girls with hands like that. Uh, but she went out there. Uh, and, and I mean, we both thought that this Hannah Goldie matchup was kind of the UFC throwing her, you know, a bone. Um, Absolutely. 
But because, you know, Hannah Goldie's not someone who's who's known for her striking. She's known for her ground game. She's known for her arm bars and stuff. Uh, so, But in terms of on the feet, uh, it did look like Hannah Goldie had been working on her hands. Uh, she was, like, down to strike with Molly, but I, that ended up being a, a huge mistake. She should have probably tried to grapple with her. But like Molly was saying in the post-fight presser, uh, she's normally been fighting girls who have, like, a size advantage on her. And when she fighting Hannah, it was just kind of like, wow, I'm fighting someone who's like my height, who's doesn't have a huge reach advantage. Like I can kind of have my way. And she definitely showed like, you know, she's got hands uh, and she knows when she's got the finish. She when she smells blood, she goes after it. So um, very impressed by Molly McCann. Uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see what she's what, what's next for her. Uh, have, did you see the whole, you know, presser and what she said? <laughs> no, I missed it. Oh, man. Uh, so her and Patty did their presser together. Patty's up there eating a the burger. Uh, she even gave Molly a bite. It was like their whole friendship thing. I, I think that's really dope. Oh, it's awesome. But anyway. Yeah, yeah but, but anyway. So Molly uh, called out Antonina Shevchenko and the uh, post-fight uh, presser. And uh, somebody asked her if she saw the tweet uh, from Miranda Maverick. And... She said that she hadn't. The guy reads reads the tweet, and then uh, she says, um, "I don't got the exact quote, but she says, if you want to get, I'm not even gonna. Ch- I want to try to do the the accent, but I'm not gonna do it." She was like, oh, "If you want to get fucked, if if you want to get fucked, I will fuck in any ways. <laughs> in any ways you in any ways you want, I'll fuck you in any ways you want." And it was just like, "Whoa, okay." Uh, and then she said something like, and, and I did mean that in a gay way. I think that's what she said. It was it was something along those lines. But, yeah. Uh, so, she's Here, either, I found the quote. It's, a fuck you wherever you want to be fucked. <laughs> so, I, I was close. By the way, we got uh, this yeah. uh, accent thing down. Yeah. <laughs> I've watched so much Love Island UK that, I mean, I'm an expert at this point. Yeah, Love Island is a is an outstanding show. I mean, my girl got me on that, but yeah, uh, yeah. So, if I'm Molly McCann, I mean, am I crazy to say that I wouldn't be mad if the UFC booked Valentina Shevchenko versus Molly McCann? Valentina? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's crazy. Am I crazy? Valentina? Uh, okay. The champion? The champ? The champion? Okay. Let me ask you this: Who's the number one contender for the flyweight championship? Oh, I don't even know. Okay, okay. You don't, have, you don't don't do any research or anything. You don't even know. Okay. Who I mean, outside I, of outside of Valentina Shevchenko, who is the next biggest star in that division? Are we counting Andrade as a flyweight or a strawweight? You can't. You can't. Maybe Andrade. Maybe. I and mean, then look. After, after after Andrade, who is it? Let's be real. Yeah, I don't know. Macy Barber, maybe? Oh, that's close. Is, she, is, is Macy Barber a bigger star than Molly McCann at this point? Probably not. I'm just saying. Yeah. And that probably is crazy. But let's say MSG needs a, a, a title fight, like a, a third title fight. They're trying to put three titles on the line. They're putting Patty on the card. Why not? Like that's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, why not do Valentina and Molly McCann? I mean, sure, she hasn't fought anybody even remotely close yeah. to what Valentina brings to the table. She probably needs three or four more fights. You know, she's not even ranked at this point. But I'm just saying, in terms of her star power, 
And in terms of what the flyweight division has right now, there's not a clear number one contender. I wouldn't be mad at it. So you just want to straight up skip Antonina Valentina. Valentina well, Shevchenko and go straight to Valentina Shevchenko. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, like me, me. That's me thinking like okay. way outside the box. But if it were just me, like going for like what should be next in yeah. her career, definitely she needs to fight somebody who's who's got a name like Antonina, but who's not a world beater. Like Antonina's right. been very consistent. She, sure, she won her last fight um, against Courtney Casey, but she had been on a skid before that. Um, if if Molly wants to fight Antonina, that would be a very fun fight. She would be at, she would be at a reach and height event disadvantage again, but that would be a striking fight. Uh, you know, it would be Molly's uh, striking her power against Antonina's Muay Thai. So yeah. sign me up for that. But then, like, what about Miranda Maverick? I mean, it seems like Miranda really wants uh, this Molly McCann fight. I I actually love that fight. I would say my guess is Miranda Maverick's the favorite there, uh, but I really yeah. like that fight. Um, I mean, maybe this goes somewhat to the Patty Pimblett conversation we have, right? Where it's like, how strategic do you want to be here with Molly McCann and her star power? Um, I mean, serious question. What do you think the opening odds for Valentina Molly would be? Oh, it would. My here, Dead serious. My first thought was like minus 1,500. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would, probably, it would probably be something along those lines because like we've for how good she's looked as of late, like Hannah Goldie was a, like that was them throwing her a bone. Yeah. Uh, Luna Car- Carolina was, you know, that was a tough fight for her because of the the height and reach disadvantage, but yeah. she did score a highlight real knockout. But she, yeah, the, the, the odds would be crazy minus 1500 in, in, in those, <laughs> in that area. Yeah. For sure. Who would you favor in a Miranda Maverick Molly McCann fight? Definitely would favor Miranda yeah. Maverick. Uh, I think she's just fought tougher competition, and uh, you know she's sure she lost to Aaron Blanchfield, but outside of that, Miranda Maverick has looked pretty much flawless. I mean, I, I think she beat Macy Barber. Yeah. I think she got robbed in that one, but uh, and you know Molly McCann is still kind of fresh in the sport, so uh, not in the sport, but in the UFC. So yeah, I would favor Miranda Maverick for sure. Yeah, it's I, I'm kind of I would love that fight. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, another one I'd throw out. If she wants to continue fighting up, how about Amanda Heboss fighting up at 125? Because Amanda Heboss fought her ass off against Caitlin Chukagian at 125. It would also, it would test Molly's ground game, but not against somebody that's like giant, right? Like Heboss has good ground game, but she's also fighting up. So to me, kind of feels like the right combination of things, maybe. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, I don't know. I feel like I, I, I don't think I would give Boss a mind McCann. Uh, I, I like she did so good against Caitlin Chukagian that she deserves somebody else who's ranked, but maybe not, you know, the top division. Yeah. Well, if she's going to continue, I, like, I don't even, is she going to continue fighting at, at Flyweight? I mean, if I was her, I would because uh, there's not much going on at flyweight right now, and she proved how skilled that she is. I truly feel like if she had uh, like one or two fights before she had fought Chukagan, that she would have beat her, and she already almost beat her uh, on that night. So I think I scored it for um, me, boss. Actually, 
Yeah, like that fight was really, really close. Yeah. Um, I remember you picked T-Boss and I picked Chukagan, and when the fight ended, I was not confident in uh, Kevin Chukagan win at all. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, T-Boss is very skilled for the division. She's, she proved that she's stronger than, than expected. Uh, she was definitely uh, making it really tough for Chukagan, for sure. So uh, yeah, if I'm T-Boss, I'm trying to fight up uh, in the rankings. But yeah, if I'm Molly McCann, like I think Antonina is a perfect matchup. Like Antonina yeah. is not ranked, and uh, it's, a, it's a striking fight. Uh, even though she's not ranked, Antonina's got a name, especially being a Shevchenko. So I think that's the fight. That's a good one. Um, again, I, I do like Miranda Maverick a lot uh, against Molly McCann. I think that one's a lot of fun. Um, Aaron Blanchfield is ranked, but here's the great thing about Molly McCann: like her, her, like you said, her star power is so big that I don't feel like somebody that's in the rankings would turn down that fight because you have more to gain by beating Molly McCann than like a middle of the road flyweight, right? Absolutely. Like, like the, yeah, I don't even like, like who's the number eight flyweight. I don't even know who it is. But my guess is you would probably get more out of beating Molly McCann than whoever the number eight flyweight in the world is right now. Jennifer Maya, look at the rankings okay, right then now. Okay, then there you go. I think it's like a, a Sean O'Malley type thing. Like, even though Sean O'Malley's ranked really low, and he wasn't ranked at the time uh, before, like he fought, I think uh, Pavia. Uh, like a lot of the guys would be like, oh, I'll fight Sean O'Malley because of his star power, and I yeah. think that's the same thing with. Uh, the flyweight division, like, there's not much happening. Like, the flyweight division is getting a lot better, but there's not much star power. That's why Misha Tate was going to get a title shot as she beat Lauren Murphy. Right. There's not much star power there. And Molly McCann is, like, one of – she's – like, Valentina's number one. Like, I think Meatball Molly is two or three in this uh, division in terms of star power, yeah. so – all right, the main card started in the light heavyweight division. Vulcan Uzdemir over Paul Craig. Or Craig. Paul Craig. Got to roll that R a little bit. Uh, since we're doing our best uh, UK um, dialects. Uh, this was also one where, you know, I was like, I feel like either Uzdemir is going to knock this guy out or Paul Craig is going to submit him. Uh, we both picked Paul Craig to win the fight. Uh, neither got the finish. It was an Uzdemir decision, which was obviously the right decision. Yeah, you know, I feel like Paul Craig definitely uh, should have won this fight, but the way he fought was very uncharacteristic in my mind. Uh, it, it reminded me of uh, of Ryan Hall. You remember how Ryan yes. Hall was going for that weird ass like I don't know. It was it was just so weird how Paul Craig was fighting. And when when Paul Craig gets these submissions, uh, like when he got the Jamal Hill submission, like it seemed like that's what he was going for with Vulcan, like trying to trap his arm and get him to the ground. But it wasn't something that that Paul Craig forced. It was just like something that kind of happened. It happened in scrambles, like, right? Right. It happened in the scramble. Like in this fight, Paul Craig was forcing everything. Like nothing happened uh, in, in in a flow. Like you know, Vulcan saw everything coming. All of the grappling and all of the clinches and takedowns and everything. Like Vulcan saw all that coming. And once he knew, once he saw that Paul Craig was trying to force stuff, like he started to open up. Uh, a little bit more, a little bit more, but he still knew how dangerous that Paul Craig was. He didn't overextend himself like Paul Craig was doing. I thought that this was this should have been a Paul Craig win, but uh, he definitely uh, forced a lot of things in this fight, and I think he gave this one away. Uh, I think Vulcan is there to, is there to be taken. He's there to be beat, but uh, Paul Craig didn't uh, get that done. There were times in this fight, and I think the broadcast crew even said it, like the look in Vulcan's eyes at times looked like a guy that felt like he was losing the fight, right? And 
Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, I was reminded of the Ryan Hall fight against Ilya Taporia, where Ryan Hall just kept falling on his back, hoping Taporia yeah, would yeah. jump on top, and Taporia, uh, you know, finally ended up just landing the big punch and knocking him out, which was, inc- I mean, it was an incredible finish. Uh, but yeah, it was just so weird because you're right. Like, all of his submissions come in incredible spots where they're scrambling and he catches the guy off guard. Like, he was trying to force this so much that he was just literally laying on his back. And, like, it, it also, we talked a few weeks ago about how frustrating it was that Andre Muniz was only going after one path, right? And that was the armbar. Like, it, it was like he was completely ignoring any other path to victory in pursuit of only winning this way. And, like, Paul Craig wasn't even trying to, like, this wasn't even about, like, getting it to the ground. Paul Craig was only trying to get it to the ground with him on his back, right? Like, he wasn't trying takedowns or anything. He was literally trying to pull Vulcan on top of him so he could work from the bottom. And I was like, dude, you're forcing the position so much that, like, it's not even a fight now, right? Like, it's, it's, uh, it was weird. It was, it was, it just, it, it was missing, like, the element of fighting and seeing where that takes you and adapting to whatever position you're in. Uh, and certainly right. there's something to be said for forcing your style on the other guy, but this wasn't forcing your style on the other guy. This was trying to get the other guy to like actively pursue something that wasn't in his benefit. Right. right. Like it was, it was so <laughs> weird to me. Like, yeah, I, I, this was also a very frustrating fight that I just, I wanted Paul Craig at some point to just, just lay it on him and, and somewhere in a scramble, try and get a position that benefits you. But like the constant, like just immediately go to his back, and then I did get a kick out of you could you could literally hear Uzdemir's corner screaming at him, like let him up, do not engage on the ground. Right. Uh, right. And so, like there were so many times, Will, that it looked like Uzdemir was actually entertaining. Maybe that's why Paul Craig kept going down, because it seemed like Uzdemir was at least sometimes entertaining the idea of maybe following him there, but uh, ultimately resisted temptation. But what a weird fight, very strange. And uh, yeah, yeah, Vulcan Uzdemir very strange. Very strange fight, man. Uh, Paul, it's just crazy because Paul Craig hasn't fought like that, like his entire UFC career. He hasn't fought uh, in, a, in a way that was just so forceful. Yeah. Like, and and it wasn't like Vulcan did anything to make Paul Craig do that. It was just like from the opening, uh, from the opening minutes of this fight, like Paul Craig just did not want any parts of the standup with Vulcan. He just wanted to get it to the ground with him, with Paul Craig on his back, so he could wrap up a submission. Yeah. But that's not how he beat. Um, uh, Ankalaev in the last minute of the fight, like he, like that was something that had that happened uh, naturally. You know, it just happened organically. Right. That wasn't how he submitted um, Krylov. Like, right? He he saw opportunities to to wrap up a submission, and you know he took the opportunities when he had them. But he he didn't force anything. Yeah. Uh, this fight with Vulcan, I think he gave him way too much respect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I want to hit uh, Mokayev Charles Johnson before I do. As far as the prelims. Uh, give me any other thoughts you had outside of that one because I want to hit that. But I, I'll just say this: I, Nathaniel Wood looked unbelievable against Charles Hosa, and those leg kicks, man, absolutely. Bro- I thought he was going to get a leg kick finish in this thing. I think he should have, man. Like uh, with the way that I mean, first, how tough is Charles Hosa to take all those leg kicks? And you could tell, like they were having such an effect on him, he was barely able to take any yeah. of them uh, in, in the third round. Like he kept getting dropped by these leg kicks, and he was fighting out of a stance that he's not used to fighting out of. Like, I think he started fighting out of a karate stance, not because, you know, he, like, that was out of necessity because he wanted to keep his his leg, like, as far away from Nathaniel Wood as possible. But whenever his leg was remotely close to Nathaniel Wood, he would chop at it, and it was just, uh, it was tough to watch. But um, I thought Jai Herbert 
uh, did what he had to do to win. Like after getting knocked out by Ilya Taporia in the way that he did, um, it wasn't the the type of fight that we're used to seeing out of Jai Herbert. But he just needed to get get a win and get back on track. I thought Nicholas Dobby looked uh, outstanding. Uh, Mark DeCasey looked great. Um, uh, but outside of that, like you said, uh, that Muhammad Makaya fight. So, Mohamed Mukhaev is a big-time flyweight prospect. I mean, it wouldn't shock me at all if very, very quickly we see him skyrocket through these rankings and get a big opportunity. He is now 7-0 with the win over Charles Johnson. So, I saw a lot of people complaining about this being a really boring fight on Twitter, okay? And the, I guess, like, I perceive some of these fights differently because, yes, you can make the argument that this was similar to other fights like this that I've called boring. Here's where I want to d- differentiate like this fight from other fights that were very similar to this that I've called boring. Mohamed Mukhaev never stopped trying to advance his offensive position. For 15 minutes in this fight, no matter where he was, he was constantly trying to advance his offense against Charles Johnson. At some point, you have to give Charles Johnson some credit for uh, the defense that didn't allow Mokayev to ultimately like get a position where he could finish this fight. But Mokayev was unbelievably active in a lot of these clinch and grappling uh, exchanges where he was trying to further his advantage to, to either finish the fight or deliver damage where I think a fight gets incredibly boring and I don't, I don't enjoy it. I don't like how they score. Some of these is when you're able to achieve an advantage, whether that's in a clinch or on the ground and your offense disappears, right? Like, you're happy just basically holding that advantage for the duration of the round. Like, if I get on top of you, and I get, I, I'm, I'm, I've got you mounted, and if I just stay there and don't attempt to ever, like, do anything beyond that for the rest of the round, like, that's boring to me. Yes, you won the round, but, like, if you're not trying to actively advance any position you have, and you're just happy where you are, you're not delivering damage, you're not trying to get submissions, you're just happy holding on because you have the advantage position-wise, that sucks, man. Mokayev was not doing that. He was constantly pursuing progression, right, in terms of the hold that he had. Like, he was always trying to advance his offense. I appreciate that. So I didn't think it was... I mean, look, it wasn't the most entertaining fight in the world, but it also wasn't boring because the guy that had the advantage wasn't just happy with the the position he had. He was constantly advancing. Rant over. Sorry. Yeah, it- <laughs> I agree with you, man. Like, that fight wasn't boring. I think that after uh, three or four uh, decisions, like, uh, with how hyped this card was, like, people are wanting to see a finish of some sort. So, like, another decision, they're just like, oh, that fight was boring. I didn't want to sit through 15 minutes of that. But if you're an MMA purist and you just love watching the sport, like, that was not a boring fight by any means. Like you said, Mohamed Mukayev was definitely actively trying to advance, actively trying to do damage. Um it wasn't like he was laying on top and just like I, I, what I don't like is when they're laying on top and they throw like these these short, li- like little non damaging strikes just so it looks like they're being active. Right. Uh, and just so the referee won't stand them up. I, like I, I hate those. Absolutely. But yeah, that, that definitely wasn't what Mohamed Mokai was doing. And for a guy to be that young, like he's still a very young prospect. Like he, this was, that was the second fight in the UFC for him to to deliver that type of performance. Uh, says a lot about where he is. Um, he didn't overextend himself. He did what he had to do to win. And it wasn't like he was being conservative. He was definitely trying uh, trying to be active. So uh, it, if people thought that was boring, I think it was more so uh, 
the UFC London card was full of decisions. Like that whole That's prelim fair, card yeah. was 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 decision, except for uh, JSP over uh, Amir Khani. Outside yeah. of that, um, it was all decisions on the prelims, and I mean especially after Makayev's UFC debut, like, that's a tough act to follow. Oh, if yeah. You're not getting a, if you're not getting a, a, another type of finish, like, if you're going to a decision, like, you're automatically... Like, that's why people... I feel like people are kind of hating on Ian Gary. He gets a knockout at, at Madison Square Garden, but out after that, it's been decisions. Like, not every fight is going to be a, um, a, a finish. Like, yeah. sometimes you have to be strategic. You have to be smart. You have to take the W. Um, like, what, ha- what would happen if Makayev would have lost? I mean... Like this is a guy who's 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 got championship potential for sure, um, but if he were to go in there and lose, like people probably would have hated on him anyway. So like, why not go ahead and just take the win, get your win bonus, advance in the sport. Yeah. Don't try to overextend yourself for these fans who will turn on you in the drop of a hat. Right. Well, but but even with that, like like I literally said when we were talking about the co-main event, if I was Jack Hermanson in the third round, there's no way I'm walking to the center of the ring with Chris Curtis and even giving him an opportunity when I've completely dominated the fight. Right. Like, this wasn't even that. Like, Mokayev was still, even in the third, he had completely dominated that fight. That fight wasn't close, right? Even in the third round, though, he was still trying to advance position on the opponent, despite being up on the scorecard. Like, you couldn't even, you couldn't even entertain the idea that, that Charles Johnson won even, like, more than five seconds of that fight, right? Like, that was a right. dominant performance. And even with that, he never let his foot off the gas. He was always trying to advance position. I appreciate trying to do that. Now, just because you don't do that doesn't mean it's not entertaining. It just means he didn't get it done this time. But when a guy just literally, we've all seen it, just literally lays there because he's on top and knows the other guy can't move him but doesn't try to choke him out or doesn't, I mean, doesn't try to damage, doesn't try to do, like, that's boring. That's when I'm like, oh, this is brutal. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> like, it, he was attempting to advance the entire time. Uh, and and uh, I, I have a high appreciation for that for sure. Uh, by the way, Dana White's Contender Series debuts tonight, week one. Yeah, and uh, Bo Nickel, uh, very, very accomplished wrestler, is going to be fighting on it. Um, I think that's a very huge like deal for the for the UFC for the Contender Series. Uh, Bo Nickel has all of the uh, hype uh, to be a uh, to be a star, and I think that this is just kind of something that's yeah. going to catapult him uh, to that because we we already know. Um, what Dana White's Contender Series does for people. I mean, what, like, Sean O'Malley, you know, all, all of these guys who have become off the Contender Series, yeah. the, the UFC has high, high, like, regard for, high praise for. Put them, they put them in high main card spots on these fight nights. And with Bo Nickel being uh, who he is, um, such an accomplished guy already coming into the UFC, um, it's kind, it's kind of, it's, I think it's kind of different, you know, because a guy like Bo Nickel, I feel like he would be a guy who would skip the contender series and just go right into like a UFC debut fight. But instead yeah. uh, he's taken on uh, somebody in the, in the, in the contender series. And I think that's only going to add to what he already brings to the table. Yeah. Uh, by the way, he fights. I, I think I told you week two, I had my, my dates wrong. It's week three. So he is the Tuesday night of uh, August 9th. Um, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so um, I had my dates. So wrong. I just went on a, I went on a random for Bo Nickel for no reason. No, no, no. I did, <laughs> listen. I, I was gonna say I was actually gonna promote Bo Nickel fighting on this thing because, like, by all accounts, uh, this is a, a world class wrestler. I think like national champion at Wisconsin. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And then he's had one professional MMA fight in which he was unbelievably impressive. Uh, basically, 
I mean, everybody's saying this guy could be the next big thing. He himself has gone out on a limb and made some pretty bold statements about uh, who he could beat like today. Uh, so he's somebody to watch for sure um, in terms of like big names and big time prospects. Absolutely. But that's coming up in like three weeks. But um, I would just say this, like, first of all, I think you're getting better fighters at this than you get at tough. Oh, 1000%. <laughs> um, so for the people that are fans of the ultimate fighter, like I love the ultimate fighter, but this, this gives you much better fights a, but better, I think better prospects. And like, this is the best thing in sports, right? This is essentially a game seven. This is what we love about sports is that do or die mentality. This is literally for a contract to the UFC. Like every one of these fights, Dana White is watching. And if you win by, I mean, I don't know what the percentages are. I feel like there's a high percentage of you finish your fight, you're, you're getting a contract, right? Every once in a while, there's a finish that the guy doesn't or girl doesn't get a contract. But for the most part, like if you finish your opponent, you're most likely getting a UFC contract. That's the ultimate motivation. That's why all these fights are incredibly entertaining because it's not just like grind out a 15 minute decision right? Like this is a contract on the line and style points matter for contender series. So for all the people that maybe watch the UFC or maybe you watch it part-time, you're like, yeah, it's fun sometimes, but then there's those boring fights. Like you get very few of those types of fights in contender series because everybody's literally motivated to win an impressive fashion because even if you win by knockout, it doesn't guarantee you a contract. Like, uh, I, I know that Dana's, I think been a little bit more, um, giving in terms of like how many he's given out the last couple of years. Cause they're, they're in desperate need always of new talent, especially with the amount of fights they have now. But uh, this is a lot of fun and it, it always delivers fun, entertaining fights. So that's the best sales job I can do on contender series is literally every fight is like a game seven. It's like UFC contract on the line. Winning is not enough. You need to win impressively and you might get a UFC contract, but if you lose, I mean, it's, it's done. So there you go. Yeah. It's basically like how, how bad do you want it? Uh, it's, you know, Sometimes people get another opportunity at the contender series depending on how they did the first time, but like like you said, it's a it's a game seven. Uh, you know, you leave it all on the line. Like like I said, how how bad do you want to be a UFC fighter? How bad do you want to advance in your career? Um, if you're like like the uh, whole laying down on top of someone, uh, you know, dominating someone for three rounds or whatever the case is, that's not gonna really get it done. Nope. Uh, you have to be advancing. You have to be trying to finish your finish your opponent. Like you said, style points matter. Um, like all, all of these fighters, all of them, like they know what this is all about. Like they know, like the, the the fight before them, if they get if they get a finish, like that puts more pressure on your fight to go out there and, and, and do something impressive. That's right. So like everyone's trying to outdo the the, the next fight or the, right. or whatever the case is. Uh, like you said, Dana's been more lenient on uh, giving out contracts, but like at first it was like one contract or yeah. like two contracts. But see, now he's a little bit more lenient. But I think um, the competition is getting is getting better. Yeah. Uh, like adding a guy like Bo Nickel is just like a a, a clear indication of that. Uh, and then like the the fighters that we've seen, like these are guys who kind of have championship potential. Like uh, Alex Perez got a title shot. Sure, it was early, but like he, you could see like there's some championship potential uh, in the flyweight division from him. Uh, Sean O'Malley, uh, for how they've been, you know building him up slowly like you can see like the guy has uh championship talent uh despite how big of a uh star he is like he's a he's a guy who definitely has a lot of potentials so i mean like 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 you said there's not much of a better sales job that we can do but uh these guys all of them uh like jack dalla 
is, yeah. uh, is one of the more Absolutely. recent guys that we've seen coming off of, off contender series who's good. Uh, Carlos Alberg, Phil Haas, Adrian Yanez, Dustin Jacoby. Uh, so many guys. Jamal Hill. Tons of talent. So many yeah. guys uh, coming off the contender series. So it's it's something to watch for sure. Like I, I, I we watch we we watch tough, but there's nothing that compares to the contender series. Yeah, it's awesome. Again, like it's literally like every fight's like a game seven, which is I mean the best thing in sports. Win or go home, right? The ultimate level of urgency to get it done. It's all on the line. That's that's as good as it absolutely gets. All right, UFC 277 on Saturday night from Dallas, Texas, American Airlines Center. Will before we make picks, I'll just simply ask you the question. You don't necessarily have to run it down. Fight for fight, but UFC 277 or UFC 270? Better fight card go. Whoa, you're putting thought into it. Okay, this is where I'm at all with that. Like, I think that the co-main and the main of 270 were better than 277. But I think the fights leading up to the co-main and the main, the first three uh, were are way better than what we saw at 270. Um, so it's kind of like, I feel like the kind of, it's kind of like a toss up, but uh, man, I like, I remember 270 was barely, was like, it was a tough card like to sell, but that Francis and Surreal gone fight kind of just did it for you because yeah. of how great that matchup was. And then Figueredo Moreno was, you know, the third fight, you know, so many questions was going into it. But I think this main card as a whole, uh, definitely um, beats 270. Do I think the Francis and Surreal matchup is better than all five of these fights? Is where it comes down to for me. And I... Mm. Dang. I mean, I would rather watch Francis Surreal on its own than watch all five fights on the main card of 277. But I would just say, yeah, the 277 card is better. Yeah, yeah, that's I, I, that's as best as I can put it. Like, I would definitely rather watch Francis Surreal, but just the, the 277 card as a whole is definitely better than 270. Yeah. All right, so you maintain your five-point lead as uh, last week we were the same across the board, which, by the way, we were not very good, uh, thanks to <laughs> Aspinall's injury, thanks to Chris Curtis yeah. um, deciding not to fight. Um, what was yeah. the other one that we... Oh, Paul and Paul Craig having the, the Ryan yeah. Hall moments. Uh, it was... We were 500, and, and uh, it was not the very best performance that we've had. But, uh, again, uh, five-point lead for you. So you are selecting first five-fight main card, which features lightweight, light heavyweights, Magomed Ankalaev and Anthony Smith. Oddshark.com has Ankalaev as a minus 500 favorite, plus 375 for Anthony Smith. Ooh, um... First of all, these odds are ridiculous, don't you think? I was shocked, dude. <laughs> shocked when I saw these odds. Yeah, I mean, give Magomed credit, but like, I don't even think he was that much of a favorite against Tiago Santos. Uh, yeah, these odds are kind of outrageous. Like, I understand people think that Ankalaev is a future champion, that he's got all the skills and everything, but Anthony Smith, man, I really like what I've seen from him um, since he's uh, like, he took those two losses to Rackage. And to um, who was the other guy he lost to? Uh, Glover. Shoots, Glover. Yeah, yeah. He took those two losses back to back, and then you kind of just wonder like, where is is Anthony Smith gonna go from here? He he takes some time off. He puts some size on. He beats Devin Clark pretty easily. Beats uh, Ryan Spann. Beats Jimmy Crew. And in all of those fights, he's it seems like he's gotten uh, he's looked a lot better. 
This one, this one though, I mean, uh, this one is where we see. Like, I, I truly feel like this is a title eliminator fight for sure. Uh, Anthony Smith has done a, a great job getting back on track, but Magomed is a is a guy who's uh, looked. I'm not gonna say he's looked unstoppable or invincible or anything, but he's looked really good over the course of his win streak. Um, I really want to pick Anthony Smith here. I really do. Like, like the odds are disrespectful. Anthony Smith has the experience. Uh, I really want to pick him here, but I think I'm going to roll with Makalayev. All right. I like it uh, because I am picking Anthony Smith here. A, shocked at these odds. Like, shocked. I'm not yeah, kidding. Yeah, these like, are disrespectful. Minus 500 plus 375? Like, what are... Do people just think Anthony Smith is washed up? And look, on the other <laughs> side of that, like, I like Magomed Ankalaev, but I've not seen enough from him. I, I, like, I've never called him a future champion. I think he's really good. I think he's worthy of being in the top 10, but I've never one time watched him and thought that's one of the elite 205ers in the world. Never. He's very... He's well-rounded. He's got a lot of skill, but, I mean, we've... You know, the Tiago Santos win, eh, right? Like, uh, he beat Krylov by decision. Uh, who else did he beat by decision recently? Um, well, he beat uh, Kutalaba by stoppage twice. But um, Yes, Kutalaba by stoppage know. twice. I don't know who else he's beat by decision. I have to look, but... Uh, he's won three straight decisions. I'm trying to remember who the other one was. It was Santos, Krylov, and... Uh, uh, Volkan, Volkan Uzdemir. Uzdemir. Yeah, Volkan Uzdemir. Again, I mean, those are good wins, but nothing inside of any one of those wins, to me, pointed toward future champion. In fact, I would say I've never, at his very best, I don't feel like I've ever seen him look as good as Anthony Smith has looked at his best. Now, the question is, is Anthony Smith still that guy? Yes, there were the back-to-back losses to Glover Teixeira, which, look, that was really the beginning of the Glover train that led to a world championship. Um, you know, you understand the rocket situation and just everything Anthony Smith was dealing with outside the octagon even. Uh, and you know, it is what it is. Um, I thought that there was a fire in Anthony Smith. The last time we watched him fight, you know, sometimes you get these guys that are getting up there in age and you can literally see that they don't want it as much as they used to. I don't think that's the case with Anthony Smith. I think he absolutely still wants it is still motivated. Um, I thought this would, the odds would be much closer. I like Anthony Smith in the fight. So, well, I'm let, not even let me taking this, this to be opposite. I like Anthony Smith in the fight. Yeah, let me say this. One of the only thing that one of the only things that gives me uh, cause to pick Akalayev, I like his his wrestling over Anthony Smith. And even though Anthony Smith is very good on the ground and could yeah. uh, wrap up a submission or something like that, I thought it was very telling. I'm not gonna say it was easy for Jimmy Crute to get him to the ground because Jimmy Crute is a very good wrestler. But I I do feel like Jimmy Crute was able to get him to the get him to the ground, not at will, but kind of like whenever he wanted. Uh, and I feel like Akalaya could potentially do the same thing while the striking between them could be uh, pretty close. But you know Anthony Smith being so tall, fighting with uh, with that jab, like his jab has looked so crisp yeah. lately. So um, yeah, these these odds are crazy. But uh, this this should be a very good fight, very high level yeah. fight for sure. All right, fight number two on the main card is flyweights Alex Pantoja and Alex Perez. Pantoja is your favorite at minus 174, plus 141 for Alex Perez. Yeah, so Pantoja, I think he's on the cusp of a title shot. Uh, he's beat all of the big names in this division. Um, I, you know, I think he's a guy that should be fighting for the title now, but, you know, injuries kind of halted that. I think with this win, he, sh- he probably could be next. Um 
I, I like Pantoja, man. Like uh, when he fought um, Manel Cop, I thought that was a very good performance. Uh, he's beaten Brandon Moreno. I believe he's beaten Kai Kaur French as well. I might be wrong on that, but I know he's beaten Brandon Moreno before. So, um, and Alex Perez is, is skilled, but I think uh, Pantoja is just slightly better, uh, more experienced. So I'm going Pantoja. He beat uh, Moreno and Kaikara France in uh, the Ultimate Fighter season 24. Okay, okay. So, yeah, there you go. And then beat Moreno again uh, in the UFC. Uh, last win against Brandon Royval. Uh, the Manel Cop win, man, like that to me was more Manel Cop not engaging than it was Pantoja, but um, that was just my perspective on it. Um, we haven't seen Alex Perez in a long time, right? I mean, the last time yeah. we saw him was uh, the title fight that he lost in 2020 to Davison Figueredo. Um, Is that the last time we saw him? Unless I missed a fight. Let me see. Wow. <laughs> Let's see here. Um, yes. Cancel. So he's had canc- four fights with Matt Chanel canceled and two fights with Askar Askarov canceled. Wow. Over the last two years. So, yeah, tw- November of 2020, the, the loss to Davison Figueredo was the last time he fought. Um, but again, he's had six fights cancel, so it's not like he's not been in camps, so he's at least been active. Um, yeah, this is one where I think the odds represent, I think maybe how close this is. I'll take Alex Perez. Um, I, I think both of these guys are worthy, like title contenders. Both of them are in that small group of, you know, the next tier below what is currently, you know, Figueredo is the champion and then, uh, Moreno and Kaikara France next, but, uh, yeah, I think this is a very close fight, and I, I, I feel like I, I've seen more upside from Alex Perez than Pantoja. Uh, Pantoja's probably the safer pick, but I'll take the upside of Alex Perez here. All right, heavyweights. We have Sergey Pavlovich and Derek Lewis. Lewis fighting in Texas, by the way. I feel like the, the numbers on his side as far as fighting in Texas aren't good. Uh, but Pavlovich is your favorite, Will. Minus 130 for Sergey Pavlovich. Derek Lewis is plus 110. You know... Derek Lewis is a guy who's very, very tough to like put a put a prediction on because I feel like he wins the fights that he should lose and loses the fights he should win. So it all depends on like what you feel like this fight is for for Derek Lewis. Uh, I think the the one fight that he won that I thought that he should have won was Chris Dawkins. And I think I even picked against him because of how inconsistent that he is. I think you did pick against him. And I was like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> right. Uh, looking back, I definitely should have picked him, but, but yeah. So like the fights that he should win, he loses the fights that he should lose. He wins. I think with this one, especially with him being an underdog. Um, I mean, I know that Sergey uh, has looked pretty solid in his, in his, especially outside of the UFC. Um, I feel like he's, I feel like he's a better martial artist than uh, Derek Lewis easily, but Derek Lewis. That's probably true that. of the majority of the division, right? Abs- absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so this, this fight is really tough to pick, man. Oh my gosh. And then Derek Lewis is fighting in Texas again. Am I wrong about that, or like if I feel like every time he fights in Texas, it's not good? Well, just recently, because before he went on this little skid, 
of fighting in Texas. Like he lost to Surreal, he lost to Ty. Yeah. But before that, I think he was like undefeated in oh, Texas. Okay. Maybe it's just so, yeah, maybe it's just the last two so, being really big wins kind of right. leave that taste in your uh, mouth. Derek Lewis is such a hard person to predict, man. I, oh my gosh. I feel like either either way I go, I'm gonna feel dumb for doing it. <laughs> Do you want me to pick um, and you, and uh, you can just take opposite? Nah, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick and I'm gonna stand on uh, my pick, but I just know I'm gonna feel like, oh god, I shouldn't have done that. Give me um, fuck it. Give me Derek Lewis. Let me let, let me go with Derek Lewis, and um, okay. Going with the with him scoring a big knockout, finally getting back on track. I feel like you don't love that pick. You know I don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's disappointing that that's the route you went because uh, I'm taking Derek Lewis as well. Uh, Sergey Pavlovich oh, wow. is three and zero in the <laughs> UFC. By the way, all three wins are are round one finishes. Like this fight is going to be a finish, and it's a matter of who delivers the big shot. And uh, I feel like for as impressive as Pavlovich has has been. Uh, his wins are Marcelo Golm, Maurice Green, and Shamil Abdurrahimov, which, again, Shamil's top 15 heavyweight, right? But a far cry from what you're going to see from Derek Lewis. Uh, I think we're just talking about another tier, for me at least. Uh, and it's a three-rounder. Derek Lewis isn't worried about having to worry about the gas tank for five rounds and all of that. Uh, this is Derek Lewis for me. You know... Uh... Okay, Derek Lewis is a guy, even though he's tough to predict, if he's going to be in these firefights, you have to favor his power over anybody's because he's the scariest right. knockout artist in the, in the entire UFC. And Shamil is a, uh, is a tough guy to finish, and Sergey definitely finished him uh, back in, in London. Uh, so that's a feather in his cap. But if you're playing that game with Derek Lewis, uh, not many guys live to tell the tale, and... Sure, tied to Avasa did uh, back in February, but he's one of the outliers. Uh, I think Derek. I think this is uh, Derek Lewis. I'm not gonna say for sure because I'm not sure of what guy we're gonna see. But if it comes down to uh, both these guys taking big shots, who I think is gonna go down? Yeah, for sure, Pavlovich. Agreed, and that's what I think we're gonna see. And this is gonna be similar to the tied to Ivasa situation. Only I don't think Pavlovich has tied to Ivasa power. Like I think he has power, but uh, you know, tie withstood a couple of Derek shots and, and delivered his own, uh, which I thought was very much a possibility. I don't, I don't see it that way. Not, not that Pavel, Pavlovich could absolutely win this fight. But if they both trade punches, for example, like say they both hit each other at the exact same time, Pavlovich is coming out <laughs> on the wrong end of that, I think. So absolutely. Uh, there you go. All right. The co-main event is for the UFC Interim Flyweight Championship. It is Brandon Moreno, who what is fighting for this belt for the fourth time in a row. Uh, he was the champion. He's lost two of them versus Kai Kara France. This should be a lot of fun to watch, Will, stylistically. Brandon Moreno is your favorite, minus 220, plus 175 for Kai Kara France. This fight comes down to a question of um, experience versus momentum for me. Uh, I, I think in terms of the skill, these guys are um, two of the more skilled flyweights in the division. I think Brandon Moreno was so skilled that he forced Davis to Figueredo to completely reevaluate his game. Uh, Kai Carr Francis has uh, built a huge wave of momentum um, coming off that Cody Garbrandt win 
and then beating uh, Askar Askarov, who was my pick to be the flyweight champion at the end of the year, uh, to, to beat a guy like Askarov, that uh, says a lot about how much Kaikar France has improved. Um, these guys fought once before. Uh, Brandon Moreno uh, got the better of Kaikar France, but I think that was a different fight, a different Kaikar France, and even a different Brandon Moreno because it was a different, you know, Brandon Moreno hadn't fought for the title yet. Um, I do think uh, one question that I have, though, is, you know, He's been in a few wars with Davis and Figueredo, taking big shots from Figueredo, right? I wonder if this is going to be one of those fights where he gets touched by Kaikar France and not be the biggest shot in the world, but because he's been in a few wars where he's taking big shots from Davis and Figueredo, where those hits add up, and then uh, Kaikar France just catches him with that one shot that puts him down. Um, because, you know, Brandon Moreno's not a guy who's really going to be you know, he doesn't have that power like Kai Car France. Like, he's very skilled, very technical, but he doesn't have that power. Kai Car France definitely has that power. Um, and if the skill is, if, if Kai Car France has closed the gap on the skill and he's able to, uh, and it comes down to the power, um, you know, it might be Kai Car France. But, uh, but then I think about the grappling of Brandon Moreno, and I think uh, that could play a factor here. But Askar Askarov had a tough time. Deal, you know, t- trying to take Kaikar France down. So I just uh, basically talked myself into a decision because I didn't know where I was going. So I'm going to pick Kaikar France. I think uh, the momentum's uh, going to take him to the promised land here. Uh, Brandon Moreno's, uh, you know, a champion. Uh, there's a lot of people who think that he beat Davis and Figueredo, but I think the momentum of Kaikar France, uh, I think he's closed the skill gap that there was between them. Uh, I think this is his time right now. So give me Kai Carference. Wow. I thought you were going to go Brandon Moreno there. Um, yeah. Moreno has the win over Kai Carference. Brandon Moreno's <clears throat> the more well-rounded fighter here. Brandon Moreno's tough as nails and is, I think probably has that like fire to never give up as, as much as anybody in the sport, right? Like he's not going to quit no matter how tired he gets, no matter how beat up he gets, he's not going to quit. Maybe his body will have to quit before he quits. Absolutely. If Davis and Figueredo can't put him out, I don't think Kaikar France is going to put him out. But to your point, Kaikar France right now has so much momentum. I think while he doesn't have as much power as Davis and Figueredo, he does have power. I feel like his speed is on a whole nother level. I, I don't anticipate a finish in this fight, but I think over the course of five rounds, the speed of Kaikar France uh, is the difference. And uh, I think Kaikar France is your interim flyweight champion as we get ready for. Uh, Big-time championship matchup. That would be a ton of fun with Davis and Figueredo and Kaikar France. So for the oh, fourth be... time in a row, Will, I'm taking the underdog on this card. All underdogs. Fourth yeah, time in a okay. row, I'm taking the underdog. And and uh, Brandon Moreno is minus 210, and uh, Kaikar France is... Uh, didn't you say minus 210? Plus 175. Brandon Moreno is plus 175? Moreno is minus 220. Kaikar France is plus 170. Oh, 220. 220. Okay. Yeah. I said 210. Okay. Yeah. So Brandon Moreno is a pretty sizable favorite. Yeah. Anthony Smith is a pretty sizable underdog as well. So you're taking some chances here, man. Yeah. Yep. Fourth straight underdog on this card. All right. Which takes uh, us to our main event the Women's Bantamweight Championship. Your champion is Juliana Pena. She took that belt from Amanda Nunes. These were the tough season 30 coaches. This is the rematch of what some people consider to be the biggest upset in UFC history. 
Amanda Nunes is your favorite at minus 275, plus 230 for Juliana Pena. Okay, I'm going to open this by asking you a question. Do you think that the first fight was more Juliana Pena winning and taking the title, or was it Amanda Nunes just lost? Well, I can't tell you that. From the first fight? Yeah. You can't tell me that. Not until I've made my pick. Oh, well. <laughs> well, then. Uh, I'll tell you that when you make your pick and then I'm, I'm making mine. I'll, I'll... Okay. Well, I, I was going to go somewhere with that, but I'll, I'll scratch that out. <laughs> I can't tell you that. Okay, cool. Well, that would, I think anyway. that would give away who I'm picking, I think. So. Okay, that's fine. Or maybe hey, it okay, wouldn't. So... Maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. So this is here's what I'm thinking. Like I had to ask myself um, who I thought. I went back and watched it, and, and I try, try to ask myself who I thought. Uh, did Juliana just win that, or did Amanda like you know just really lose that? And on fight day, you know, I think that Juliana like all that she said really leading up to the fight, where she said, "I'm gonna do this. Like this is how I'm gonna win." Like it was basically spot on to how Juliana said she was gonna win, but like. Amanda just didn't look right. You know, like, you know, Amanda has fought title fights for the last six years. And she has never looked that tired after one round uh, like she looked on, on that day. And it wasn't even like they did a lot of grappling. Like, it, I don't feel like there was much activity. Like, Amanda leg kicked her, jabbed her, and then, like, they grappled. And, like, it wasn't like they were doing a lot of advancing and a lot of reversals or something like that. It was kind of just like, you know, it wasn't much that happened. And Amanda was just so tired. And then in the second round, Juliana took the fight to her, you know, knowing that she was tired. She took some shots and, and kept moving forward. While, while Amanda's landing shots and while they're exchanging, like, Amanda's just getting more and more tired. And Juliana just, uh, like, proved that she's a dog and was able to uh, outwheel her, outheart her, you know. But uh, I truly feel like... Um, Amanda admittedly didn't train. Uh, she said that she was dealing with injuries. I don't know if it was more of injuries or if she just underestimated Juliana. Uh, she said that she had some knee injuries and wasn't able to train all the time. And then the whole, you know, she left her gym. You know, we don't know like how much that probably played a factor. But I'm going to stand on, like, I've seen Amanda in, in fights uh, before where she didn't look like that. And, uh, I think losing to Juliana put some motivation back in back in her. Uh, she's the GOAT, man. Uh, and I think we see uh, the GOAT return to form. And I think Amanda's going to take back uh, the title. Um, but I don't know for sure if this is going to be a finish or if this is going to be a decision. Nice. Well, anyway... Amanda's my pick, but uh, I don't think it'll be as easy as I think it will be. Okay. <laughs> I think Juliana's tough is tough as nails, but Amanda gets this done. So when the first fight happened, I remember doing the podcast, and I made some kind of joke along the lines of, Pena Nunes, do we even need to spend any time talking about this, or can we just like make the pick and move on, right? Like, Just say who you're picking. We don't need to like break it down. Let's move on. Uh, which wasn't as much about Juliana Pena as it was like Amanda's the goat, right? 
Um, and then we did this. So we did, we do these on usually Tuesdays or Wednesdays every week. So then like that entire fight week after I've obviously like somewhat made of an ass of myself, like not even entertaining the, the idea that Amanda could be beaten this fight. I'm, I'm like watching the press conference. I'm watching the, the way in the ceremonial way and like all of it. And every single time I was like, there's like Juliana believes like there is a level of like supreme confidence there that I don't know where it's coming from, but it's there. Like you could tell by her body language and everything that she believed. And that didn't change my mind about the fight necessarily. It was just something that I observed that week that I thought, okay, this is interesting. Like she wasn't just saying like, I think I can win. I'm going to be like, I'm going to be the champ. Like I, I genuinely that week felt like she 100% believed it. I didn't believe it, but I, I genuinely did feel like 100% she believed it. So the fight happens, right? To answer your question, I felt like that was Juliana and not Amanda. Like, I felt like Juliana won that fight. I didn't feel like Amanda lost the fight. And part of that is because I feel like that observation I made, there was a mental edge that I think Juliana has in this thing over Amanda Nunes. And I believe it's there. I still believe it's there. I don't think it, I don't think that fight was fluky. I think Amanda's the goat, obviously, and Amanda could absolutely win this fight. Like she's she's the greatest women's mixed martial artist we've ever seen in the UFC. But I I still believe that mental edge exists, and I, I don't think it was a fluke. I, I think Juliana Pena gets it done again, and still, and still all five times going underdog on this card. Juliana yeah, Pena was my times. selection. <laughs> all five underdogs. I love it. Man, um, the. One thing that uh, Amanda said that uh, made me more a little bit more confident um, while she she was saying that she couldn't train, she looked uh, outstanding on the scale. And I thought that was like I thought she had looked better than she had ever looked before. And I thought, oh, yeah, she's in shape. She's taking this fight serious. But she looked a little too small. Um, and, and she said after the fight that she wasn't able to train. So she. Um, so her diet was very, very strict, and that's why she looked so, uh, so small. And and then like I remember you telling me, um, I remember you texting me about the about the stare downs and about yeah. how you felt Juliana had the edge. Like I I can remember looking at my phone and I I kind of dismissed it because when I looked at it I was like I don't see it, you know, <laughs> like I, I was like I don't really see it. Uh, but just how confident that Juliana is, uh, she's never like. Most people, when they fight Amanda Nunes, they're like, oh, I'm fighting the GOAT. I have so much respect for Amanda, this, this, this. But Juliana was like, I can beat her. Like, like I, I truly believe yeah. that I can beat her. I've been calling for this fight. Um, she she doesn't want this fight. She doesn't want to uh, fight me and all this stuff. Juliana was basically not giving Amanda, like, any respect. She was taking the mental warfare right to her doorstep. And it didn't seem like Amanda had anything to, <laughs> you know, answer that. But I think... Um, I think this is going to be more of a fight where it's going to be technique and skill. And I don't think it's going to be the kind of knockdown drag the out madness, madness yeah. type fight that it was the first time. I think Amanda's uh, coming into this fight more dialed in, more in shape. And I think dealing with uh, her on the ultimate fighter kind of helped Amanda kind of see how Juliana is uh, because, you know, before Juliana's talking noise from, miles away you know juliana had a chance to take that mental warfare to her doorstep on the show and that never happened now i don't know how fight week's gonna go 
but it feels like they both know like the shit talking is kind of out the window. Like I don't know if there's going to be a press conference. I, oh, I know there's going to be a press yeah. conference, but I don't know like how how much shit talking is going is going to be. But I feel like this is the fight is going to be more of who's better than the mental warfare that we saw in the first fight. Fair enough. I legit thought that there was a chance we would be on the opposite side of all five fights. Uh, the two that I thought that there was the biggest chance we would be the same side on was Derek Lewis Pavlovich, which we were. And then I thought I thought you would be very much up in the air about Perez and Pantoja. Uh, but I thought in the co-main, I thought for sure you were going to go Moreno. So I thought there was a chance you could go opposite me, those other two. I thought you'd go Moreno. I thought you'd go Nunes. <clears throat> and I thought that, I, I like, I knew I was going all, all five underdogs. Uh, but I thought that there was the chance that we might be opposite on every single one of these, which has never happened, right? But three of the five is not bad, so. man. I will take it. Yeah, especially on a pay-per-view card. I mean, someone's uh, walking away with the with a bit. Either my lead just grows, or you take over. That's so, right. or uh, wait. So th there's three points, three points, and five points. So that's eleven points on the line. Yeah. Um, all right, man. What I feel like is going to happen is this is what this is what I feel like is going to happen. This is this is my prediction. Not that I'm changing my prediction or anything, but this is what I think is going to happen after we've made our picks. So I think Anthony Smith and Pantoja are both going to win, okay. and then Juliana Pena is going to beat Amanda Nunes or vice versa. Okay. I think that one of us is going to walk away with just one point after we bet three different fights. Nice. <laughs> You're probably right. You're probably right. Because <laughs> that I, that always happens. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it was fun, man. Uh, again, this this uh, at least this fight card overall is better than 270. It's not uh, not nearly as good as the last pay per view, but I'm more excited now than I was two hours ago. So put it at that. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. Now that we made our picks and everything, that made the the fight card yeah. a little bit more interesting. And I might be texting you again on Friday saying, "Man, I don't like this stare down and uh, <laughs> feel the other way." Although I will say, like, I didn't think that Pena was going to win last time because of the the stare down, but. It was just something that was so obvious to me that I even felt the need to, like you said, text you about it. Because I was just like, dude, this girl is supremely confident. Like, there's, it was wild to me. Absolutely wild. Like, there you go. I mean, for, for what it's worth, man, if I could say some uh, good things about Juliana. Like, first of all, she is bad. Juliana is, uh, is a dime to me. But um, she's very, very confident. She's always, uh, like... Before this Amanda Nunes fight, she's always been this confident. Uh, she's always uh, been someone who will take uh, the mental game right to someone's doorstep. Like, she's so confident. She's so sure of herself. She's very passionate about the sport. She trains very hard. Um, like, it was always in the cards for her to be a champion. Um, she just, you know, she tore, her, she tore up her knee really, really bad. She got, she got pregnant. And, like, normally when those two things come into the picture, like, aspirations of being a champion are very very slim right after that but juliana overcame all of that and beat the goat like there's not a bigger like oh, like story like of overcoming obstacles than that like you you tear up your knee to the point where people don't believe you're going to ever be able to come back you have a baby but then you come back and you beat the goat like that's just like her her, her mental game is just crazy but I mean, she's. I don't believe she's better than Amanda Nunes. I just, I just don't. And I think if Juliana was to, was to beat her again, it would be like I would have to admit, like Juliana is just better than Amanda Nunes. If you beat if you beat somebody twice in a row, like what what else, what else you, can you say? It means that maybe all of your attributes are better in that matchup than their attributes. Doesn't mean you're better necessarily, but 
Styles make fights, Will. Styles make fights. Amanda yeah, Nunes could be the better too. fighter, but lose twice to Juliana Pena. Like, both can be true, right? I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I mean, can you, can you give me a, a, an example of, of, uh, of someone who's lost twice? Well, I'm just saying, like, everybody has kryptonite, right? Like, Superman had kryptonite. Okay, I'll I, I give you that. Yeah, like, that's true. Yeah, so if you just, you know, everybody has a weakness, and there's certain matchups everywhere that can bring out your weakness, maybe. And, you know, just because you lose to your weakness doesn't mean, like, collectively. Like, there are fighters out there that maybe Amanda, uh, Juliana loses to twice, mm. right? That, that you would clearly say, like, in the big picture of things, well, she's a better fighter. I mean, lesser than fighters beat better than fighters all the time in this sport. Simply because sometimes, stylistically, one guy can be a big problem for fighter A, but not a problem at all for fighter B, depending on his strengths and weaknesses. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and I will say, out of everybody in this division, that, she, that a man could fight, like, Juliana is the worst matchup. Like, I remember, I will give myself credit on that. Like, I did say, did say that. <laughs> back in the center, I agree. that Juliana, out of everyone, uh, gives Amanda the toughest match, and that's still definitely true now. Uh, um, man. Yeah. That was what, I I, that have, was actually what you said when I said, there's no need to break this fight down, just give me your winner. And then you were like, well, yeah. I mean, I'll at least say this. And I was like, okay, whatever. Like, you're going to feed me this baloney about there being a chance here. And, you know, so I will. Yes, I give you credit. You did say that. But but now, I mean, it's just the, the fact still rings true. Juliana is, a, uh, is that one matchup that Amanda is going to uh, it's going to take Amanda to go above and beyond to overcome. But uh She's the goat, man. I mean, I, if she's if Juliana's gonna gotta beat her again, I gotta see it. Like just like I said the first time, with with a lot of these dominant champions, if they're gonna yeah. lose, I gotta see it. And if she's gonna lose twice, I gotta see it. Fair enough. All right, my friend, it was fun. We'll catch up again next week. UFC 277 on Saturday night in Dallas, Texas. We will be tuned in and points up for grabs. So this time next week, it could be a completely different story, or maybe I'm wiping tears off my cheeks as the unthinkable has happened and there's no way to climb out of the hole that I've dug. But five underdogs on the card for me. See what happens. Well, good luck, buddy. Bad luck. I mean, good luck, bro. For sure. Podcast is over.